ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. You're listening to the sixth season of Breakdown, an exclusive podcast of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This season, a jury of his peers. For more information, including photos and video, go to AJCBreakdown.com. Follow us on Twitter at AJCBreakdown and at AJC Courts. And new this season, join the Breakdown Facebook group to meet our journalists and ask questions about our story. Atlanta, I'm on one up for the 612. Yeah, baby, we got shooting out here at uh, uh, the Petro in Atlanta, right across from the Burger King. Dude, laying down right now. Somebody shot him up. Somebody just got shot in our parking lot. Oh, my God, man. By any measure and by any observer, it was a terrible scene. But as the 911 calls unfold, it gets even worse. Oh, man, this is the car that's parked over here. This guy got shot, too. He's in a blue Bonneville. Yeah, I believe he's dead. There's another guy shot in the car. So it's two, two people shot? Yes. Oh, my God. This can't be happening. All right. Hello, ma'am. We do have Grady and Rod, okay? Police and, and EMS. No, Father God, please. Please, Father God, please. Bless him, Lord. Put the arms around him, God, please. This is not good. The homicide duty pager is part of your life when you prosecute cases for the district attorney in Atlanta. During your one-week rotation on homicide duty, when the pager goes off, you go out. Doesn't matter what time or where. Chances are good you won't even prosecute that case. You just have to be at the scene to show the flag for the DA, advise the cops on legal points, and scope out the scene for yourself. And it's 24-7, anywhere in the city, anytime. Um, if you're in the middle of your work day, you leave your desk and go to the homicide scene. If you're dead asleep at home in bed, you leave and go to the scene. That's Kara Convery, an assistant DA in the Fulton County District Attorney's Office, talking about the homicide pager. Me, personally, I put the pager underneath my pillow so that I make sure I don't miss a call because they come in all hours of the night. This call did. Sometimes you'll go six days with nothing, and the last day you have the pager, which is this for me, the last day of my sort of duty week is Sunday. So, of course, I, I get a page in what feels like the dead middle of the night to me. I wake up, try to throw something on that's somewhat comfortable that I can go out in the middle of the night in, but that's, you know, I can't wear what I'm sleeping in, so i got to change into jeans and a T-shirt. She is paged to a scene just two and a half miles from home. There, in the parking lot of a Burger King, she finds a dark hell of blood and shell casings and a dead man still seated in the car in which he was shot. We are learning new information about a shooting outside of Burger King that left two men dead. The two victims have been identified as 22-year-old Quincy White and 24-year-old Reginald Koiku. 
I'm Kevin Riley, Editor-in-Chief of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and this is the sixth season of Breakdown. You may wonder what I'm doing here, but if you're a Breakdown listener, you'll recognize this voice. Thanks, Kevin. Hi, I'm Bill Rankin, legal affairs writer for the AJC. I've been covering crime and courts for 25 years, from the U.S. Supreme Court down to the county magistrate courts of rural Georgia. But I've never been able to go where Kevin went in the course of this remarkable story. Hang on a second, Bill. We're getting ahead of ourselves. I mean, a lot of things happened that night. You'll hear a lot more from Kara Convery, the prosecutor. But first, I need to tell you what this story is about. It's about the deaths of two men. Reginald Koiku, Reggie, and Quincy Weish, nicknamed Fat. They were killed that night in the shootout at the Burger King parking lot. Let me introduce you to Scott Burhalter, the Atlanta homicide detective who caught this chaotic case. It began for him in much the same way it began for Kara Convery. The call from the homicide supervisor woke him up. We have a, uh, an, a rotation in the, uh, the Atlanta homicide unit, and once you're uh, at the top of the rotation, the next homicide to occur in, in the city of Atlanta is uh, that person's that number one. And so uh, I got a phone call, actually, from uh, one of our supervisors that informed me that there was a homicide that had occurred at 3195 Donnelly Hollowell Parkway. Uh, the top three in the rotation get a take-home vehicle, so I hop in the city vehicle and proceed directly to the crime scene. And when I get there, there's you know you can see the obvious marked patrol vehicles with the blue lights going, uniform officers, yellow crime scene tape. One man dead in the blue Bonneville. A few steps away, Burhalter sees the discarded wrappers of emergency medical supplies. Someone had been lying in the parking lot right there, but the paramedics had already transported him. All of this in a Burger King parking lot, just a few minutes before the midnight closing time. April 24th, 2016 was about to give way to April 25th. The moon was just a few drops from full, and it was windy and cool in northwest Atlanta. The two dead men were among 111 people murdered in the city that year. This part of town sees more than its share of crime, ranging all the way from low-level drug dealing to homicide. From where Reggie Koiku was killed, you can see the Blue Flame Lounge. Reggie worked there as a bouncer. What do you need to know about the Blue Flame? Well, the fact that it had a bouncer is maybe your first clue. Blue Flame is a, uh, it's a nightclub. It's like a bar, nightclub, you know, type of establishment. Um, it's a lot like any other bar, nightclub in any other part of the city. It's a certain establishment, and, uh, but it's going to have some problems here and there. What Burhalter is stepping around is the fact that the Blue Flame is a strip club. Atlanta is known as the home of Coca-Cola and Home Depot, but to conventioneers it's known as Stripper Central. Here's Atlanta lawyer Gerald Griggs, who knows the area well. Being from Atlanta, growing up on the west side, I know all too well about Bankhead Donnelly Hollowell Zone 1. I know about the things that go on. I know about the Blue Flame. It's a strip club. It's one of the most famous strip clubs in Atlanta, right behind Magic City. But it's in a rough part of town. The Blue Flame is at the heart of a tough neighborhood. Atlanta police divide the city into five enforcement zones. Reggie Koiku and Fat Weich died in Zone 1, one of the roughest. Here's Burhalter describing the area. You have the, uh, the truck stop right there, so you have a lot of 
truckers that'll come and spend the night, stop and get gas. So it's a, a pretty busy 24-7 operating area. The area is known to have uh, prostitutes, drug activity, because there's, there's a lot of business to be made with uh, the constant flow of people in that area. And here's Kara Convery's take on the area. So that's Atlanta Zone 1. There's a series of apartment complexes there right immediately behind the Blue Flame and, and on down the street. And then, of course, the gas stations are all there. It's a, you know, a truck stop, really, that exit. Um, there is a lot of drug activity. I would say Zone 1 um, is one of Atlanta's highest call volume areas. I mean, a lot, very commonplace, um, to the point where these businesses know that it's going on out in their parking lots, and it's just kind of a known thing. I asked Detective Burhalter to describe the scene of the crime as he found it. Well, what I'm seeing is we have the uh, the medical waste where uh, Quincy White had been uh, found on the property of the uh, Petro. And then looking at the uh, rear of the Bonneville, you can see uh, a bunch of uh, shell casings on the passenger side. And as I get closer, you can see inside, by this time, the front passenger door was open, just from the paramedics and fire rescue. And you can see... Clearly in there, uh, Reginald Koiku, he's seated in the front passenger seat. This was a horrific scene, even for a seasoned homicide investigator. Oh, he was covered in blood. You know, I mean, he was uh, unresponsive. His eyes were uh, partially open. He was leaning back, just motionless. And he was covered in, in blood. It was starting to pool in, in some parts of the vehicle and, and on him. And you could see... Um, that there were uh, bullet holes on the front windshield and shell casings. So when you have paramedics to check them out, don't transport them. They don't transport dead people to the hospital. I also noticed that there was a, uh, a handgun, a pistol, sitting right on his, on his lap also. And now, with the arrival of Detective Burhalter, this chaotic, bloody scene assumes almost perfect order. The discipline of the Atlanta homicide investigators has taken over. Yellow placards marking evidence. The Atlanta police investigating team calmly and coolly going about the scene. Ten shell casings near the rear of the car. You know, we have a saying, we only get one shot at this. Uh, Once we leave that crime scene, you know, that's it. We can't recreate it exactly how it was again. So we try to get all the information. So if we needed to, like for a jury, for instance try and recreate it as best we can. So that's mainly the thing I'm thinking about, but just looking at the amount of shell casings, the amount of blood, his position, you could see that he had quite a few defects in his uh, body. So he'd been shot multiple times. At first, I think um, might have been something kind of personal or maybe like a shootout, you know, because like I said, he did have a pistol on his lap. This well-ordered murder scene had a few things that seemed out of place. A random flip-flop lay near the rear of the car. Inside the Bonneville, investigators found a backpack stuffed with, well, it wasn't dope and it wasn't money. It was a child's pink bunny blanket. But here's what they didn't find. No murder weapon and no shooter. But Burhalter caught a break. Well, I learned we had some uh, video from the Burger King. Sergeant Jackson had actually, uh, with his uh, phone, recorded like a little uh, clip. And you could see the bullets flying 
out of the, uh, the windshield. Plus, just looking at the uh, bullet holes on the windshield, you can tell that they were from within the passenger compartment out. And the video helped confirm that because you can actually see the glass spitting. And then you could see that it was a uh, black sedan that had uh, fled the scene. Ocean breeze, tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. The cell phone tower is the detective's friend. It just stands there all day, collecting and passing along every cell conversation in the vicinity. And near this scene, there wasn't just one. There were two. So the scene of the shootings is now under police control. The yellow crime scene tape boxes it in. The techs comb the area. But the order doesn't mask the horror that happened here. Amid all the concentration on what can be found comes a reminder of what was lost. Assistant DA Convery is standing in the newly striped parking lot of the brand new Burger King, peering at the bullet-riddled Bonneville. A woman, worried and desperate, has walked up out of nowhere. And asked me, is it my son? Is, is he over there? And I will never forget that. She was distraught in a sense, in a shocked sense, um, sort of a flat affect. She wasn't hysterically crying because I think at that point she didn't know. She had gotten a text message from one of Reggie's friends, maybe. When he didn't immediately respond, you could tell based on the phone records that people were concerned. She said, what, what's going on over there? Can you tell me? Um, and I said, you know, I'm just responding with the officers. They're still in the process of um, investigating the scene right now. And I said, I will have an officer come over and, um, you know, see what information he can give you or what, what he can tell you that's helpful. And she said, thank you. The police would soon confirm the woman's worst suspicions. Her name is Florel Jean-Pierre. Her son was Reggie Koiku. Nearly a year later, she describes what she lost. I was led to a crime scene where my beautiful son was dead in a car. His body was riddled with bullets. And I whispered, I love you, son, for the last time. Reggie was my son, my firstborn son, and he did not deserve to be so cruelly taken. I do not deserve to have to live the rest of my life with this pain and without my child. Detective Burhalter also spoke with Koiku's mother at the scene. I think the last thing I did that night was uh, actually speak with the uh, mother of Mr. Koiku. She provided me his phone numbers, which were helpful, of course. She explained that he had worked as a bouncer at the Blue Flame, be a bodybuilder, uh, things like that. Didn't know of anyone that would want to cause harm to him. Didn't know of any illegal activity or anything that, uh, that he may have been involved in. And a lot, of, a lot of parents don't know every single thing that their child is doing or not doing, whether it be legal or illegal. Who was Reggie Koiku? Kara Convery talks about him, the first to die that night. 
Yeah, he was um, someone who was very disciplined about his physique. He was a, a lifter, a bodybuilder. He sort of had this job on the side at the Blue Flame, but his main sort of drive and purpose was his physical fitness and really being in shows and getting to a competitive, like professional level with bodybuilding. I think his family and his friends would describe him as someone who was tough, but who was kind of a kid at heart. I mean, he had braces at the time of the murder. He was originally from Florida, up here in Atlanta, really just trying to make his way as a young man, really. Made some stupid choices, but was not a bad person. One of Reggie's last bad choices was calling Quincy Weich at 9.06 that night to try to set up a drug buy. They would exchange 14 more calls, with the last conversation coming at 11.28. Both would be dead within the hour. Everyone knew Quincy Weich as... Fat, although he was actually kind of skinny. And the police didn't initially know who he was. Here's Burhalter. We originally thought his name was Quincy White, but he was uh, pronounced dead at the hospital. Information about him, we didn't really get any on, on the scene. It wasn't until I think it was the next day when Quincy's mother called, and that's when we learned it was actually Quincy White, W-I-T-C-H-E. Kara Confrey was able to create a more complete portrait of Quincy Weish later. Quincy was someone who was really just kind of a survivor. Getting to know his, the people who loved him, his girlfriend, and the people who he spent most of his time with. I mean, he was really popular in his friend group. I mean, everybody loved that. Um, he just... What his friends really were his family. He had been out of his house, sort of living on his own, really, for all intents and purposes, since he was little, I mean, 13, 14. I think he spent a lot of time um, staying with his grandpa, staying on his couch when he could, but he was gonna survive in any way that he could. And for him, that was making some friends with some people who were gonna take care of him and protect him and um, making some money whenever and however he could. There was at least one other person in the Bonneville that night, the driver. As Reggie and Fat lay dead or dying, the driver was running from the scene, but he'd chosen a truly bizarre place to run. The distance from the Burger King to the on-ramp to I-285 is a few hundred feet, and the guy is actually making his way on foot out to I-285. This is the perimeter highway, which encircles the city. 285 is the truck bypass around Atlanta. If you live and drive here, you know I-285 as the road to perdition. So you're the cops. You have two guys shot and one guy running away up I-285. That's pretty simple arithmetic. Go get him and you get the killer, right? As he races down the on-ramp, a responding officer catches sight of him, watches as the runner throws something into the bushes. The runner is Carlton Redding, 28. He had been driving his girlfriend's Bonneville. Police caught up to him before he could take the next exit. That was the plan. Run with the trucks on 285. Exit right onto Bolton Road. Vanish into the night. Here's a tape of police radio traffic from that moment. They advised that the mail was running... It was running down 285 towards South Cobb. 94, I, I got him right here, right before Bone Road. Black male, black shirt. All right, we're right behind you. He's grabbing a gun. He's grabbing a gun out of his pocket. He's going to throw it. 
Where, okay, where are you at? Uh, he just threw the gun. He just threw We got an officer down. We had a car run over. Everyone, alert conscious breathing. Just get a four. Uh, patrol vehicle ran over. Two officers in the park. Send a four. Send a four at. Code three. Radio, go ahead and uh, have a four fire come down to where the uh, suspect is. He was run over by the car as well. We're going to have to have somebody look at it. Did you hear that request for a 405? That's an ambulance. Why did they need an ambulance? Because one of the cops struck Carlton and two other officers with his car. Carlton and one of the officers were taken to Grady. After three hours at the scene, Detective Burhalter headed downtown. Next stop, Grady. Time to talk to Carlton Redding. But he knew something by now that the officers who apprehended Redding didn't know. Just a little video clip that we had seen from the surveillance video from the Burger King. We were pretty sure that, you know, he was the driver of the Bonneville, and he got out and, and ran. It looks like projectiles were coming from the rear portion of the uh, passenger compartment of the Bonneville. So I didn't really suspect him, but I knew he was going to know what was going on, what happened. Well, there's no way you can be sitting in a car with a bunch of gunshots going off and not know what the hell happened. There's a slight possibility he might have been involved in something he should have been. Now we have someone who's dead. Either way, you know, my thing was he would be a good source of information. He would have to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Burhalter had caught another break. As he told Kevin, he had an eyewitness, the only one besides the gunman to leave the crime scene alive. So went ahead and uh, went into the room, and he was very forthcoming with information. He had ran from the police because he had two warrants out for his arrest for an unrelated case. A shootout just happened. Here come the police. Let me get the hell out of here. So that was his mentality. That's how he lived his life. Because he was in custody from running from the police and for the two uh, arrest warrants that were already out for his arrest, we went ahead and Mirandized him, and he understood his rights, was more than willing to speak without, without a lawyer. So he broke it down. He told me everything that he had known. So Redding had seen it all the entire crime. Then he had run, and then he had been hit by a police car. The question wasn't whether Burhalter believed his account. He did. But it's one thing to have a witness, and it's another thing to have a witness that everyone else would believe. Witnesses to homicides that occurred during drug deals are typically not upstanding citizens themselves. Here's Detective Burhalter talking about the perennial problem with witnesses to serious crimes. We can't hold witness auditions where we can say, okay, you'd make a great witness, come join our case. Anyone can be a witness at any time, regardless of the background, where they live, what they believe in, who they pray to, whatever. Anyone can be a witness at any time because you never know when whatever crime is going to occur where. So here was Carlton Redding, caught up in something he totally hadn't expected, that no one could have expected, ADA Convery. Carlton Redding is a young man who is a native of Atlanta. He's been here all his life. 
He's a tough guy. He's definitely not an angel. And this is just somebody who happened to be there, and it happened, so he didn't have any choice. Hey, Kevin, I got a question. What about that flip-flop found at the scene? Yeah, that's a loose end we didn't tie up, Bill. That flip-flop belonged to Carlton Redding. He ran right out of it on his way to I-285. I can't imagine running along the side of the interstate without a shoe on. That would hurt. Bill, I have to ask you, I'm new to this kind of stuff. Don't do it every day the way you do. Is this case as crazy to you as it seems to me? It's an amazing story, and what's also amazing is the access you got. Prosecutor at the scene, the lead homicide investigator, taking you right inside his investigation. I'm envious of that access. If you can believe it, this case gets even more interesting, and we get even deeper into the details. I can't wait. We've got a lot more to come. Next, on Breakdown. We came to his home. He invited us into his home. And so we sat down and and talked. Didn't have very many words to say. He mumbled a lot. It's tough to understand him sometimes. When I started asking about the incident, you know, I noticed he, he became kind of nervous. You've been listening to Breakdown, reported and narrated by Kevin Riley and Bill Rankin, produced by Richard Hallex. Sound by Chris Basta at Bare Knuckles Creative in Atlanta. Original music composed and performed by Chris Basta, Bo Emerson, and Billy Guin. Special thanks to Bert Roten, Monica Richardson, Mark Walligor, Ryan Horn, and all the great people at the AJC, plus Chris Nicholson, Buddy Hall, and Judge Robert McBurney. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements... Are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop.